Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Borco Pass Horror Podcast. We're so glad you're here uh, for our special episode today on 1943's The Mad Ghoul. Uh, it's a, kind of a lesser known uh, uh, universal horror, but it's kind of a key one. It's, it's really the only true, if we want to call it a zombie film, uh, that, that Universal did in its kind of initial phase uh and and i think it's kind of an interesting avenue into it that they took so without further ado here's my co-host livio marino hey livio hey jim how are you good 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 um what uh we were talking about possible episodes to do and this is one of the ones you kind of came at at me first with uh what was your what was your avenue here to come in and, and want to talk about the mad ghoul yes i mean it's uh so in the nineties when I was kind of collecting the, the, uh, classic collection VHS series on, mm. on these horror films, um, it was probably 1995, 96, somewhere in there that, um, I saw that they had released a lot of lesser known ones and like, you know, monster and the girl, man-made monster, house of horrors, yeah. and the mad ghoul was among them. And I remember just seeing the, the, cover of it which kind of captivated me i knew absolutely nothing about the film and yeah. so um i watched it and I've, I've since revisited a few times you know over the years and you know it's not um i, I don't think it's ever going to be included in <laughs> in you know like a, a best of universal uh or horror yeah. films but i do think that there's it's it's definitely probably forgotten about and um i think the direction and a lot of some of the acting, especially from George Zuko, is is just outstanding here, and I think it's a good, it's a very good character, a good good plot line, and a nice twist on the whole kind of zombie Walking Dead thing. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, no, it's it it, it is a neat take on it. Uh, uh, Zuko is awesome in it; he, he's fantastic, and I think we're going to be talking about him a lot. Uh, yeah, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking at my VHS. Uh, universal collection right now and i it's one of the ones i didn't get it's like i didn't get that and captive wild woman there were a few rarities i i ended up missing or weren't able to find in in georgia at the walmart or wherever uh i was buying vhs tapes at, at back then um might have been a suncoast remember suncoast talking about <laughs> speaking of I, old things I used, to get, I used to get the uh vhs from suncoast all the time mm-hmm yeah, they, fact, they they had a good they had a good selection. I remember they had like an end cap that was just old Universal horror uh, near me, and I was like, oh, oh, oh you know. Yeah, yeah I remember, and this is a, a side story, but um, you talk about it, it's either one part dedication or one part stupidity. I, I was a freshman in high school, so this was like 1999, and right. I was dropped off at the mall with my friends because that's what we kids did back then. That's what you did, and and. I want. I had twenty bucks on me, and I was supposed to get me to a movie that night, and then lunch throughout the day. And we made our way into Suncoast, and I saw just kind of what you just described was like an end cap, and all these Universal 
uh, VHSs, and they had two that I did not have, which was Phantom of the Opera and Son of Dracula. And oh, nice. They were, I don't know, nine, ten bucks a piece. It basically would have wiped out all my cash. And so I thought about it for about four seconds of do I want to eat or do I want to take home these these monster movies? So, right. Needless to say, I took home the monster movies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? You, you've eaten plenty since then. But, I have. But you I got survived. to see those. The, I mooched off my friends that were with me. And, nice. <laughs> you know, and it's it's good. In, in the long term, I think you made the right choice. And I and that's Son of Dracula. That's that's a big one for you. That was like I, a, that's yeah, a good personal story on your on your monster journey. It definitely is sacrifice. That's fantastic. <laughs> Very cool. Um, I think it was my friend Bruce Lentz who who uh, who I like to name check here everyone. So he got me into a lot of old classic horror. He was a big horror guy, um, and he managed that Suncoast at the time. And I think he he made sure that those those films were front and center because those are big important films for him. Uh, and now, of course, they are for me too. And here we are. All right. Um, yes, nineteen forty three, The Mad Ghoul, uh, is directed by James Hogan, who died of a heart attack before the film came out. According to IMDb, um, yeah. it was it was released on a double bill with Son of Dracula, your film. So there we go. Uh, when it came out, so that's this would have been the follow up film after the the lead in for Son of Dracula. Um, yeah, it takes a neat thing where it talks about this this these Mayan crystals that uh, the one character, Doctor Alfred Morris, has discovered that induce a zombie like state. So we're not talking about really. We were talking about the walking dead, not the living dead, I guess, if we want to specify in more modern terminology, right? So the, right. the, the, the main character, Ted Allison, is, is not, um, and of course we'll get into the story in a bit, but he's not actually killed. He's a, he's a living man who's, who's put into this uh, suspended state uh, where he's pliable, uh, he's you know, able to follow orders, um, but, but really reduced his, his willpower and stuff, which is really more accurate to what a lot of zombification myths in, in, uh, in the Caribbean are kind of based out of, out of, out of, out of uh, Vudan and Hoodoo and stuff. Um, so in a way they kind of like hit the, hit the thing right on. Um, do you think, so, so Val Luton is making like, I walk with the zombie and some, and Isle of the dead and some other films like that over at, uh, RKO at this point. Do you think, do you think this was like intentionally Universal's way of like let's let's figure out let's figure out a way to do zombies and not have it all about like voodoo and stuff because they'd already done obviously obviously white zombie had come out already. Um, do you think yeah. this is them trying to do something yeah. original or do you think this is just? No, I mean I I can I'm not sure I I think that um, I'm not sure how much Universal paid attention to like what Val Luton was doing simply because Universal yeah. kind of, you know had. <laughs> I think this was devised basically to accompany Son of Dracula, but whether yeah. it was uh, Ben Pivar or, or Hogan, the director or combination, I think as you know, often happened with a lot of these universal movies, I think they put a little effort and, and time in it just to make it something that was not just some, you know, some watch yeah. along, uh, extra t- attraction <laughs> for the for the so, theaters yeah yeah and, it makes sense makes sense and it's it is interesting you as you're describing that i was thinking you know earlier the i think i guess last year um you talked on the mad doctor of market street and uh you you mentioned like voodoo and 
kind of island rituals and, and zombies and stuff like that. And that film, I think, touches a little bit on that. Not maybe not directly, but more of yeah. a from a superstitious aspect. And then this one actually, like I said, is something where someone is turned into a zombie. Not not necessarily someone that's dead that comes back to life, but someone that yes. is living and then is this unfortunate thing happened and then now they're they're this this ghoul. This is this is zombie. Right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, poor guy. So um, okay. Um, uh, so the the plot of the film uh, follows this Dr. Alfred Morris, who's driven by jealousy. His student, Ted Allison, has this very beautiful uh, fiance named Isabel Lewis, uh, 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 who's, who's played by Evelyn Ankers from, from Wolfman and, and so many other films. Uh, and uh, he's, of course, he, he's, he's jealous of, he, he, he wants Isabel to himself. Um, Isabel is, uh, the relationship between Isabel and, and young Ted is, for her at least, ending. He's still madly in love with her. She's moving on. So she's she's some kind of singer, uh, and he's a student of chemistry and medicine and, and other things under under Alfred Morris, Dr. Alfred Morris. Um, she's sort of ready to break off the engagement. He's not as much, and and uh, Dr. Morris thinks his the, the way to, to solve this problem is to is to basically turn Ted into a zombie and take him out of the equation um, using this ancient Mayan these ancient Mayan crystals, which when burned turned into a gas, and the gas is what turns whatever. So, um, and we'll get into the narrative in a bit. It's it's you know it, it's like I, I will say like I mean I'm so glad this film exists. I'm glad we're talking about it, and it's got a lot of neat little elements and parts, and it's got some nice, uh, very nice shots in it. Um, the story itself is very straightforward and basic, and doesn't really, while it was an original concept, it doesn't really jump at you as as, as but you know it's, it just it just hinges around jealousy, which many good stories do. Um, there's not the layering of character and themes and stuff that we see in something like *Son of Frankenstein*, of course, and and that's that wasn't the purpose of these you know follow up films. These these were just made to get you know keep keep butts in seats as they as they right. say, but. Uh, um, but I do think it has a lot to do with, you know, it's it, uh, not uh, too long before this movie comes out, man-made monster comes out, which is oddly, I think the two films are kind of oddly similar, right? Where, where Dynamo Dan gets t- turned into this kind of unwilling slave by, by, uh, Lionel Iowell's character, um, and is forced to, to, you know, you know, commit, commit the murder and, and do things uh, at his bequest and stuff. They're they're oddly similar. You know, that one takes more like a science fiction term t- trend. This this one a more uh, horror trend. Stuff. But yeah, oddly similar films. They are, and um, yeah, I think the only thing really missing between the two is the whole love theme aspect. Because in um, yeah, and that's a good point. I, I really hadn't thought of that before. Because um, in both movies, both instances here, both Dynamo Dan in man-made monster and Ted here in the mad ghoul, it starts off as kind of this one time, you know, happening or occurrence. And then progressively their both conditions get worse and, yes. and they, they become more of this person, whether it's a zombie essentially, mm-hmm. or this electrified, uh, mm-hmm. you know, man-made monster. And, right. um, and it, eventually is not only their undoing, but also the undoing of the scientist who, really did it to him. And, and in sure. both cases, you know, the, the characters themselves of Dan and Ted are purely innocent, you know, 
and, yeah, and, right. Uh, and absolutely have nothing, no, no bad qualities about them. Just that they got hooked up in the wrong doctor's office at the wrong time. Put their trust in the wrong old guy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and, and yeah, they're both innocents. I mean, they're, and they're both sacrificed, uh, at, you know, at the at the for the greed or the lust or whatever it is of, of, of this other character. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. And I think, and no, no, no aspersions on on Ted, on uh, David Bruce who plays Ted Allison, who uh, was in Flying Tigers and some other cool movies too. He's a, and he's a great actor. Um, maybe this is where <laughs> uh, Livio like. Maybe this is where what Lancini could do with lesser material shines through. In yes. the man-made monster, is such a is such a uh, it kind of rises above the budget, whereas this one pretty much hovers at the budget uh, as far as quality. Yeah, that, that is one. If I could give a criticism on on Mad Ghoul, you know, and you've already touched on this, the the characters are all pretty one dimensional. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, uh, Dr. Morris has, has a bit more to him. And I think George Zuko did great at playing into that. Most of the other actors here play it pretty much exactly as it's written, which is pretty one dimensional. And so to your point, if, if someone like a Cheney was in David Bruce's role, you probably would have seen a lot more charm, a lot, a lot more of the little details, the little things that, that yeah, would have made this a lot more enjoyable. True. Yeah. Driven to more empathy. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, okay. Um, uh, so we start out with with some good Hans Salter music, right? Uh, yes. Straight up from from Wolfman. A lot of a lot of music from this is Wolfman. Yeah, Wolfman and and from uh, reused kind of from the Mummy films, and which yeah. really is from Son of Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the heredity of, of things, but um, yeah, and and it's over these, uh, you know, uh, not I'm not going to call them accurate Mayan type drawings. They're 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 they're, they're not. I don't know how to say it. they're not too insulting. They're kind of insulting, but not too insulting. <laughs> <laughs> they're insulting. Like they're a little, they're a little goofy. They look, it, it looks a little bit like the beginning of a, of a Abbott and Costello movie, but not, not totally. Um, uh, we do start in this lecture room where Dr. Morris, uh, George Zucco's character, um, is lecturing on this gas the minds use to create what, and they never say the word zombie in this, in this, but he talks about living the walking or the living dead. Yeah. So, um, we know what he's talking about. And you know, there's a selection <laughs> of students and Ted, young Ted Allison is there, uh, uh, you know, li- li- you know, listening aptly. So he's, he's a, I get, I don't, he's not a star student really. He's kind of struggling a bit. And I think maybe that's why Dr. Morris kind of singles him out as, as you know, they're about to go on like a summer vacation school in the, in the, in the school. Um, he singles Ted out, saying like, you know, you could help me with my research, maybe it would help you kind of, uh, I, I guess now we call this extra credit. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, but it's a little bit of a, and there's there's not really any any overtones of any anything sexual in, in the film between the two characters, but there's kind of this, we talk about this sometimes, right, Livia? Like there's kind of this dominance submissive situation between characters and, and it kind of exists between, uh, Morris and, and 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 Ted Allison. Like he he's he's able to control him and, and manipulate him even before he turns him into oh, a, 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 a little zombie, right? I mean, he uses absolutely. his power and influence and stuff. So you, he, or I should say, he abuses it. Yeah, yeah, because he, he's he is in a position of power. He's obviously a very well respected doctor and a professor yeah. at this this uh, school, 
And, yeah. you know, obviously it's the, he's, I think it's made to look like this, but the students out there are kind of starry eyed at him because he's yes. this man of great, you know, his, his word has great weight and his opinion has influenced and all that stuff. So, you know, when he gets, right. when Ted gets, says, Hey, you know, I'd, I'd like for you to come or Dr. Excuse me. When Dr. Morris says, Hey, I'd like you to come, you know, help me this summer. And, and, you know, you could be a great use. And he's, of course, he's like extremely flattered at the idea. He's like, Oh my gosh, you know, it'd, it'd be such an honor. It's, it's, you know, to yeah. work with you and, and be a part of this. And, and you, you get the sense right away <laughs> from, from Dr. Morris that he's, he's got some ulterior motives, but uh, yeah, to your point, he's, he's already have something in motion well before yeah. he, he ever asked him to to do it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I guess he's already, I guess his plan already is, is the fact that he's interested in, in Isabel. We haven't met Isabel yet and we don't know that that's going to be a factor, but I mean, obviously he sucks Ted for a reason and, and, I don't know. I, mean, I I can only assume he's got he's got a little bit of a long game kind of plan going on. Um, I, I don't know if it's a grad school or 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 what, but obviously, I mean, I mean, David Bruce is obviously like almost thirty here, and like all the other students look pretty old. And 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 Evelyn Angers is not twenty one in this movie either. She seems even older than than Ted, even possibly, uh, like more mature, I should say. Uh, yes. uh, so so as as far as like being a bunch of college students. They, they're, they're, maybe they were held back a few years. I don't know. But everyone's, everyone's a little aged up. That's, just, that's the um, only school Dr. Morris could get into as a teacher with his, <laughs> his right. resume. Exactly. Everyone, everyone's just, everyone's going back to school. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. So again, he, he, he says publicly that his experiments are, are, are just starting, but he tells Ted that actually my experiments are actually well underway and I've actually accomplished some real things already. So why don't you come over and, and you know, start helping me and, and let's figure this out. Um, Ted's like, yeah, I want to come over, but you know what? I got to listen to Isabel. She's going to be on the radio tonight uh, uh, singing. And he's like, well, let's listening to it together. So Ted goes over and to his place and they're, they're listening to her. So now we have, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of customs and and and, and things and styles and, and and fads about these this era of 30s and 40s in these moves that I, I feel like if I was back in that time like I could really get into like some of the some of the suits look really cool and some of the cars and everything but the music maybe isn't <laughs> I kind of can't imagine sitting in an audience and listening to someone do whatever they have Evelyn Anchors doing it's it's it's, it's agonizing it reminds me in um is it animal crackers where the, the lady starts singing and Harpo just keeps making the, the goosh face and wincing yeah. and trying to escape as the lady's yeah. doing opera singing. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it's, uh, how I feel. I, that would be me like Harpo trying to get away. I, I wonder because it, it seems that, so obviously family opera came out earlier this same year in 43 and that was right, a you're massive right. hit for, for universal. Yes. And, it, there in a lot of movies post Phantom, they had some sort of plot or device where you had this beautiful female operatic singer. You had it here, you had it in right. the climax. Um, so yeah, I, I wonder if they just kind of said, "Hey, people like this. Let's put it in here." You know, this seems to work. Yeah, yeah. I I, I like it better in Raven, where uh, the character is a dancer instead of. Singing. Yes. I thought that worked. Yeah. Much you could, you could understand uh, Lugosi's fascination there with the ex more exotic type uh, dancer on stage as opposed to yes. the very stationary 
high pitched <laughs> opera singer. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's like I'm sorry, it's it's it, this might be my personal bias, but it's like it's like nails on a chalkboard. But um, and in fairness, it's not actually uh, Evelyn Anchor singing. They they dubbed her voice with another singer from kind of maybe like ten, years, I think a couple years earlier that it had been recorded because uh, the film was produced on such a quick turnaround budget low budget, you know, rapid, rapid uh, schedule that there was not time to actually, I guess, record Evelyn Anchor's actually singing. So that's a shame because it would be, I mean, that I might've been interested in, in seeing. Yeah. I don't know if Evelyn Anchor's could really sing. I don't know if she could hit those notes or they would have, they would have done a different kind of, like I could have seen them, her doing like some kind of jazzy lounge kind of singing and maybe that would have been neat, but I think that would have taken away from her. I don't know what, like that. She's kind of, she's kind of high end, right? She's kind of like high yes. art. Yeah. It's, it's probably idea. why, that's probably why she, comes off and, and appears as more way more mature than David Bruce because you you I wouldn't imagine so. her really being with or going after someone that's a say a college age student, you know, she seems much more sophisticated. Much less a struggling student, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. I'm not very good at chemistry. Uh, um <laughs> you're talking about the 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 Marx thing. I it, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Comedy of Terrors. Uh, from the sixties yes, with have. with uh, Vincent Price and Karloff and Peter Lorre and everybody, yeah. and, and so the uh, Vincent Price's wife in that movie is this want wannabe kind of opera singer, and she just sings right. terribly, but it doesn't stop her from belting out as as loud as she can. And there's one scene where she's uh, trying to sing to a record or, or the radio, and and she just is just belting it out. And um, like the the windows break, and like Karloff sticks his fingers yeah. in here. Yeah, that's walks right. in the door and his hat flies off. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's almost, it's almost this. Yeah. Or like, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 in Citizen Kane, uh, the, the bit where he, he, uh, he builds his wife an opera house so she can sing and you see him from the rafters and it's, and it's just a, a train wreck. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, so, so right. They listen to her on the radio and then, uh, they, they're going to get to work. Um, Dr. Morris brings, Head down into his basement laboratory because everyone has a basement laboratory. Um, like I said, that would be his man cave, uh, is what we call it, but uh, which is what I'm in right now in my place. Um, uh, and he's experimenting on monkeys. Uh, he's taken this one monkey and he's turned it into, he's given it the, the crystals and he's reduced it into this. Uh, Ted at first thinks it's dead. And then he listens to his heart and realizes it's alive, but it's in this kind of cataleptic state, I guess. Um, then the idea is they're going to, there's another monkey who's alive and they're going to sacrifice this monkey, dissect it, take out, he refers to it as like a clot in, it, in its heart or it's like a part of the heart, I guess. Because um, the heart is is critical in this whole thing. And it mix, they mix that with some, some kind of uh, Mayan herbs it's all a little convoluted, uh, and and <laughs> and and they resuscitate the monkey though. But but the the long and short of it is, is the original monkey comes back to life. Um, so they realize that not only can you, this is a triumph for uh, Doctor Morris, where he realizes he can not only put a, a put a living creature into the suspended state, but he's also capable of then bringing them back out of it, um, and, and that. I have a note here, like, that was easy. Like, it seems like <laughs> we, we sort of missed the part where he did all the work to try and get there, and then we, we're just here for, like, oh, it worked. 
awesome. <laughs> there's no setback. There's no kind of like montage where they're trying to like make it work. So it's sort of on the first try, they, they, they get it to, to happen. So that's good for them. That's the help Ted brings. Um, um, when it's lying there, I have a note, uh, bad dates, because it really looks like that the scene in, uh, in uh, Raiders where, where, uh, where the, the monkey eats the, the bad date. <laughs> oh, yes. um, and I think, I think it's the same breed of monkey too. I think it's pretty much, um, uh, I don't know exactly. I'd have to look and see what they look like little spider monkeys or something. Um, there's a great scene where Zucko's having some lines and he's talking and the, the monkey in the cage behind him, this is the one they're going to sacrifice before they sacrifice him. Um, it is totally upstaging him. Did you see that where it's, it's making all this noise and really like going like trying to, it's like trying to find the lens, like it's trying to peek its head around and see what's going on. And so Zucko just, Zucko just keeps going with his lines. He's like, he, completely ignoring it um but yeah the little monkey he, he was a he was a highly trained and skilled professional he wasn't going to let a monkey disrupt his scene <laughs> it, no exactly exactly um uh you know i Zucko's always always fun to watch and i always like him in, in all these bits um he's uh you know Zucko was he he served in world war one um, and he was shot in the arm and his hand was, his arm was kind of mangled apparently. And his hand was partially paralyzed. So I think he doesn't have on his right hand, he doesn't have the use. I think of his, his, his ring and, and pinky fingers. Right. And it's amazing watching, you know, not, when I know that all I can do in his scenes is watch him uh, compensate for that and find ways to kind of play it down or keep it, keep it upstage from camera, you know, um, and and then and then constantly do things with his left hand, right? That, that functions like when he if he pours wine and he, he serves the, the the drink with his left hand and stuff. And he he totally uh, he was very adept at at making that work. It was really interesting. Yeah, and, and it reminds me a bit of um, James Doohan, who played Scotty in Star Trek, who was actually missing right. a finger on his one of his hands. Uh, that's right. That's two. right. And also from the war. Yeah. From the second war. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, kind of the same thing, you know, you, you would really, he would, I mean, you wouldn't think, I mean, cause in, in the you yeah. know, show Star Trek, he's, he's using his hands all the time, but, um, you know, you just, he hit it very well. And George Zuko did the same thing here. You know, he's, cause those two fingers are kind of more or less stuck together and they just, they don't move and, and he's, he can't use it. But, you have to be like a ninja quick to catch a glimpse of, of yes. that in action. Cause he did so well and such a good job at, at masking it. So you would, you would never know. Yeah. I think, I think, I mean, that was through practice and experiencing this. If he'd figured out how to do these two things and, and he done, um, and he, the thing he's always doing, he's always finding business to do. Like we, we call it business where an actor, like beyond just delivering dialogue, I was always finding like what to, you know, something to hold or carry. So he's always carrying like a folio or a folder, or he's um, uh, finding a way to do something with it just requires his two fingers. And so, yeah, he's just always, but it is, I don't want to call it distracting, but it is, it's sort of like almost like, it's it's like the drinking game, right? Like catch, <laughs> catch every yeah. time Zucko does, does find some cool way to do something. Um, now I'm calling him Zucko and you're calling him Zuko and I don't know which is correct, but I wouldn't I be surprised if you're that, correct. I, I don't know. I, I'm not <laughs> sure if I've ever heard it said by a professional. <laughs> yeah, we need to ask Greg Mank. <laughs> I was going to say next time we have Greg Mank on the show, yeah. we have to we have to give him the Zucko versus Zuko um, uh, question. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, then they're going to have uh, uh, 
he, they're supposed to, they're going to celebrate, but again, Ted is supposed to go hang out with Isabel. Um, Dr. Morris says, why don't you bring Isabel over? And Ted's like, oh, that, that'll be swell. Uh, Ted, Ted's, Ted's a very nice kid. He's not very worldly. You can see why he's Dr. Morris's mark, because I think Dr. Morris senses that here's a guy who, um, who he can, again, like we said, like manipulate even before, uh, before he turns him into a zombie, you know, um, uh, he's that, he's that gullible. Um, uh, there's, I think one thing this movie has going for it that's really great is a lot of uh, great actors in smaller parts. Uh, yes. For instance, we have, we have Turin Bay as her accompanist. Uh, her he plays piano while she sings, and he he's part of her. Uh, he's part of Isabel's kind of uh, you know setup as, as she's a performer. Um, uh, Turin, who we're still he he hasn't been in the Mummy uh, Mummy's Tomb yet, has he? Yes. So that was that was in forty two. This is in forty two. Oh, so he's done he's done Mummy's. Okay, okay. I'm trying to get the chronology, but um, but you know you know as it's nice seeing him. He doesn't. He's, for a Universal Monster movie, he's not playing a bad guy. You know, he's 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 honestly like, he's honestly I don't want to call him the hero of the movie. Ted's sort of like the victim in the movie, but but you know he he kind of uh, he's a stand up guy and he's kind of brave in his own way. It's funny um, as the film evolves and we find out that that Isabel is, is maybe she's just naturally fallen out of love with Ted, but the other factor is that she's kind of fallen in love right. with uh, with uh, Turhan's character, who's called Eric Iverson. So when we mentioned Eric, that means that's turn. Um, anyway, yeah, no, it's just cool. He doesn't have a, that much screen time and that much to do, but it's, it's you know, he brings some, some an interesting extra element to the, to the film. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. So that was easy. Um, uh, uh, so they, they have the, the, the drinks uh, now. He, uh, uh, once once uh, Ted and Isabel come over, Dr. Morris sends Ted out to go mix his some kind of signature cocktail that Ted is known for making. Um, and with an older man's kind of, you know, sensibility, I guess, Dr. Morris has, has figured out the, the basis of what, what's going on with Ted and, and, and Isabel. And, and more specifically that he sensed that Isabel is not into Ted anymore. And Dr. Morris thinks like, well, this, here's my chance. Because <laughs> Dr. Morris thinks he's a, he's a completely, uh, viable romantic replacement for Ted. <laughs> oh, he's like, you know, yeah, six, as, late fifties, sixties. He's about as, 30 as, years older. As good as he is at picking up that, uh, you know, it, Isabel's not, um, not right. attracted anymore to Ted. He is yes. completely oblivious to the fact that she's fallen in love with Eric and yes. all equally completely oblivious to the f- fact that she does not see him anything other than a nice kind old man <laughs> right right it's it's you know it's it's just like jay carol nash in in um uh, uh wait which one was it a strange confession uh um you know the, the 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 ability of of a guy to convince a girl that she's to convince himself that a girl's into him when the, the woman is, is completely oblivious to the fact like he's having this whole romance going on and the woman is completely ignorant of that anything's happening because it's all in his mind. It's just all it's, it's his ego has convinced himself that this thing is, is real when it is obviously not. And it's a, 
Unfortunately, I'm, I'm sure that still goes on quite a bit now. I don't yes. think that's gone out of style along with the <laughs> awful singing style of the, of the period. Um, uh, so, so this is his plan. So, so she, uh, Isabel's about to go on tour um, uh, with her singing, and she wants to tell Ted that it's over before she goes. She, she's that she's she she's a nice lady. She doesn't want to leave him, you know, keep him hanging. Um, she's she's moving on, I think, professionally and and romantically. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like she's outgrown him, uh, and and that much is pretty obvious. Uh, it is. Um, it, and I will say, you know, back to uh, Eric Turns Bay character. They, I think, they do a good job because he could easily be kind of the a villainous other man. And, um, he, he doesn't, he never comes off like that, you know? And I think throughout that, I mean, there's hints, but I don't think it's really confirmed that those two are together until towards the, the end of the movie. But, um, you know, it, they, you just, you feel sorry for Ted. I mean, Ted is a nice guy and he obviously, he loves her, you know, with all of his heart. But like you said, she just, she doesn't anymore. She's outgrown him and she's found, you know, love in, in Eric and she's wants to pursue that. So she's trying to do the right thing by letting him know, but it's, it's hard to do because Ted is, is such a nice guy and obviously would take this yeah. hard. So she's, she's having trouble finding to do that, which you now now enter uh, uh, George Zuko. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. She doesn't quite have the courage to, to, to be direct with, with Ted. She's trying to find an easy way to do it instead of just doing a straightforward, which, you know, so um, maybe that's why Evelyn, I mean, and, I would say the other thing is like Evelyn Anchorage just doesn't have much more to do in this film besides sing and, or not really sing and just like lip sync and, and then be upset about getting rid of Ted and Ted won't get bigger <laughs> to, to the point where like she goes on tour and Ted starts following her all yeah. around her, her tour of the, the local area of all these different concert halls and stuff, which, which starts getting a little like, you feel like Ted's a little slow on the uptake too. Like it, it should be obvious for Ted that even, even when he's not a zombie that she's, you know, not that in them. So um, anyway, so, so Zuko, uh, I should say Dr. Morris enacts his plan. He's going to get Ted out of the way by exposing him to these, these, the, the gas that these crystals produce, turn him into a more, a slightly more willing uh, uh, slave type character and get him out of the way so that he can make the moves on on Isabel. Um, he does it by he he goes down to the lab and he 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 wears his gas mask uh, and he has this cool gas mask he, he puts on with the with the hose and everything. It's really cool. Which I'm not sure. I'm sure. I'm sure George Succo. I, I don't know if that that brought some, some memories back to him or not. It's kind of kind of weird. Like it's like oh, hey, here here we here we go again with the gas masks, right? Um, yeah. Just like the trenches in France. Uh, um, and he he tricks Ted into coming down into the room to help him with something. Uh, Ted, this is the next morning and Ted's just shown up for his first official day of work. Um, Talk about like, yeah, come on down here. Job. <laughs> right. I've had some bad first days in the job and I never got turned into a zombie. Jeez, Pete's sake. Uh, yeah. I tricks Ted into coming down and Ted walks into the room and didn't realize he's been exposed to the gas. And there's, I mean, if the film is a little light on actual horror, there's, there's a good moment where Ted looks at me. He realizes like, the, the horror in his eyes of like, I've just been exposed to this and, and he knows what he's seen the monkey. He knows what it's going to do. Um, he collapses. Morris comes in with the, with his gas mask on. Um, 
and lifts them up. And and I don't know if Morse had anticipated that not only were there going to be because he talks with the monkey that there's been some shriveling or some desiccation of tissues, or he uses some kind of uh, medical kind of jargon. Um, but when he turns Ted over, like Ted, Ted now his face has physiologically changed and, and sunken, and he's got these sunken eyes and stuff. He hasn't quite he hasn't quite gotten to the crepe paper face thing that we're going to see in a little bit, but um, but he's almost there. So there's a there's a physiological change as well as as a dampening of the mental abilities, let's say the will um, that goes along with this. But but uh, but thus that's far that has uh, that ha- that the, the, the Dr. Morse's plan is working at this point. Yeah, it is, and um, you know I think not that Morris has any type of redeeming qualities. But I don't. I, it's it becomes clear here within the next few scenes or next few days um, in the movie storyline that he is he, he only had the intention to do this kind of the the one time to to get Ted convinced that right. it, you know Isabel is, is no longer in the picture, and uh, his intent was never to <clears throat> unlike say Doctor Regus in Man Made Monster who wanted to create an army of electric you know supercharged. Uh, men. Yeah. Morris doesn't have that intent. He literally just wants this one-time thing to convince Ted to be gone, and and he, in his mind, he and and Isabel can now live happily ever after. So it, right. it's because right. Ted's going to propose to Isabel right. on the eve of her leaving for the thing. So that that's the whole idea, and and his his goal is like, okay, I'll I'll stop that from happening, and that's yeah. his kind of yeah. So it's 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 not to. To steal hearts uh, on a continual basis, or or have Ted actually right. be a a living zombie, but um, that's what happens when you play around with stuff like that. You have uh, an un- unintentional, uh, unintended right. consequences. Right. It's it's yeah, exactly, and, and we we see where it goes eventually. Um. Uh. So. Uh. Yeah. So the next step is that now he, he's done this thing to Ted, and he's got to bring Ted back. So they have to go get a heart. Um. Uh, and they they do so by apparently this there's a lawyer who's been buried uh, just that day he's he's recently dead um, uh, and and so they go to the cemetery Dr Morris and and zombie Ted um, and the the thing that cracks me up about this is is so, so Ted Dr Morris mentions that he's a he's a scientist and a chemist but not a surgeon Ted is actually studying to be a surgeon so when it comes to someone needing a scalpel to cut out a human being's heart. Um, that's Ted's job. So even though, even though Ted is zombie Ted at this point, he's still in charge of this. They call it a, a cardiectomy, which, which I, I looked it up and I don't think cardiectomy is a real term. Um, an ectomy is you, <laughs> well, you whenever you take something out. <laughs> yeah. 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 So like a tonsillectomy is where you have, have your tonsils removed and a, and a appendectomy is where you have a, your appendix removed. But uh, I guess there's not really a lot of call for to remove a heart from somebody. So I, I don't know. I did. I Googled cardiectomy and nothing came up. Maybe I spelled it wrong. Um, anyway, so they, they cut out the heart and that is going to be the thing that they mix with the herbs and they're going to bring Ted back to his normal state. Um, uh, and that this, this is sort of the, where like the end of act one and into act two now, um, this obviously, and I guess they just leave the, they dig up the body and then I guess they just leave it with its heart cut out they don't rebury it or something because it seems to me the point of digging up a freshly buried body would be you could just bury it again and no one would ever know right so 
sloppy, I guess. Um, well, you know, you, you uh, have a you have a scientist and a chemist, and then you have a surgeon, but not one of them is a <laughs> digger. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, right. I don't know, and and obviously, uh, digging would be difficult for George Zucko. Um, uh, but this is what brings the attention of the police, uh, and the police being uh, mostly represented by Mr. Milburn Stone, our buddy from. From Captain Wild every Women movie and, in the 1940s like, Universal. I, I, do you think? I mean, him and Ben Pivar must have just been like poker buddies or something, or something. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he didn't deserve these roles. Milford Stone's great in a lot of these. He's just very, he's really like, I don't know how to kid. He's just very American. He's just like, I'm direct. Like, here's the thing: we do this, we get the job. That you know, um, that's who who he played at least and I, I can only assume that's kind of part of the, his own personality uh he does pop up in a lot of these 40s films and i never before doing the podcast i don't think i was ever that aware of milburn stone except maybe enjoying his name a lot i like milburn <laughs> yeah um but uh but uh yeah he does he pops up a lot um, he is he is in quite a bit from the horror to the inner sanctums to i mean to yeah. captain wild woman i mean so yeah Right, we ju- we just saw him in uh, Return of the Spider Woman. Yes, he's 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 the agricultural expert there. He's the guy that they bring in, and he, he, Milberstone could deliver just a raft of very dry technical dialogue, and and just rip it out in in like like I say, he was it was almost like a precursor to those to the more the fifties era of giant bug movies where you always had to have the scientist explain why a grasshopper could grow to be like 600 feet long. Right. It's like, well, you know, the DNA of a grasshopper is actually very similar to the, you know, he's, he's kind of the Jeff Goldblum character in, uh, in, in Jurassic park. Kind of like he could just rip out this dialogue. Not, I don't think he'd do it as entertainingly as Jeff Goldblum, but still for the period. He was good. Um, uh, but yeah, so here's now, now, now it's a criminal case. Now, now the, the police are on, on the thing and they're examining the, the open grave and they're examining like what's happened with the, the, the thing. Um, and here we have actually my, almost my, I got to say my favorite part of the movie is there's this a reporter character uh, uh, called, um, called McClure, who's played by Robert Arm- Armstrong, yes. you know, 10, 10 years out from King Kong. Um, and he's he's great in the movie. He's funny, and he's you know this could ju- this could be just kind of a throwaway at character, and and it's not. And he he brings this real like entertaining quality to it. He's really funny, um, and then he's got a really interesting. He kind of comes into the plot towards the end and like affects it in an interesting way. So it's really it's fun, and it's just it's awesome seeing you know beyond King Kong and Most Dangerous Game and Son of Kong. I guess like I don't really know how much other Robert Armstrong stuff I've seen. I know he's in a lot of stuff, but this is not stuff I'd normally watch, but um, seeing him pop up in this is just every, every scene where he pops up, I'm like, Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like the movie just gets a little more entertaining. Exactly. I I was just about to say that he brings life into the movie where, cause it's very staged. It's very kind of just talky. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Zuko is good. Obviously the, the scene where, you know, we see Ted turn into zombie Ted is, is visually very good. Yeah. But apart from that, it, yeah. it's very much just kind of, you know, got people sitting in a room talking and then in comes Robert Armstrong, just larger than life. And, you know, yes. he, he just, just all of that comes with them and comes totally out on the screen. And it's so fun to watch. Yeah. It just kind of blows the doors off the scene, whatever scene he's in and stuff. He's really, he's really fun. And it, again, it's just, it's fun seeing, seeing him uh, in another uh, type of character. Um, I don't, I don't know 
I've almost never heard anything about um, uh, the makeup in this, uh, and and if if it was you know uh, uh, if it was done by um, by uh, Jack Pierce himself, or yeah. if it was so, handed off, you know, so much stuff is being made at this point. You know, the Universal's cranking stuff out so so many films a year, especially right around this period. I have no idea. Yeah, so it was. It was Jack Pierce, and it was essentially kind of a a redo, or I guess, or maybe a takeoff of the Ardith Bay makeup uh, from the Mummy. Mm-hmm. I think he used a lot of the same techniques here um, for David Bruce's face because it had that same kind of wrinkled up uh, style. And, right. You know, from right. what from what uh, we've got this book, it, you know, it, I tell you, every monster kid's Bible. It's Universal Horrors by. Uh, Tom Weaver, um, but mm-hmm. little snippet from David Bruce. He talks about it and about Jack Pierce applying the makeup. And I think it was mostly green. Um, and huh. obviously probably to photograph more of a, of a white or whitish. Yeah. Um, with the black and white camera, which take, take, it, take the pink of his skin out of there. Yeah. Which as, as an aside, you know, you, you get the image or, or I guess idea in your head of what, these characters would look like in color. And I think sometimes when you see and and you hear like, Oh yeah, my, like this one, he says, you know, my hair was kind of red and my face was green. You don't necessarily wow. think that when, <laughs> when, no, you, no. when you have the image in your head, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's no, and it, and it would be great if some color stills would somehow appear uh, uh, at some point of, of this film and stuff. But again, we're, we're at this point and they're filming so fast. Like there's no one on barely anyone ever on set just, taking still 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 images of these films they're crank universal's cranking them out so fast not like you go back to like the black cat and you have all these funny like behind the scenes things of yeah of boris and and, and bella like pretending to be asleep next to each other and all this you know um <clears throat> the that was the the lemley era where they were really like thinking about the promotion of these things and this is more in the 40s here we're more in this just, assembly line yeah just get it done of, and get it out yeah um but but that would be yeah that'd be the spirit gun kind of technique where you right. you you stretch out part of the the skin of the face and apply the spirit gun which is this this kind of very sticky gooey kind of stuff and then dries and then when you let the that stretched bit of skin kind of relax it it forms all the wrinkles uh, so you, you end up with this thing it's a and I everybody who's listened to a bunch of episodes forgive me I go into this but I never know who's listening to what uh, and I like to just really express how that's not fun uh, when you're an actor to have that done to you. The, the spirit gum is, it's, it, it's smelly. It's very noxious. It, it's irritating your eyes, especially if it's very near your eyes. It's really bad. Um, it takes a long time to put on the chemicals you use to get it off are almost just as bad as the, the stuff itself <laughs> as far as being irritating. Um, and it's very uncomfortable to be walking around and your, your entire face is like covered with things. So, you know, I just, I just always like to acknowledge, um, what the actors kind of allow themselves to be put through the, the discomfort of, of things um, uh, and kind of like pay tribute to them. Cause it's, you know, it, it, you go a little above and beyond, you know, it, it's not, it's not, um, it's not always just fun, uh, fun times on, on set and snacks. It's early calls. Uh, so, so you'd have to show up like, you know, a few hours before everyone else and, and have this all done and stuff. So, you know, it's not, is it, is it uh, Lon Chaney getting made up to be the Wolfman? Not quite so much, but it's, yeah, it's it's onerous in its own way. Yeah, um, and, and I think the a lot of one of the things that David Bruce had said is, 
I think in total, there was like maybe three days where he had to be in makeup uh, to kind yeah, of do all those sense. scenes. And right, said, right, you know, by the third day, the only way that they could take the makeup off was literally to peel it off. And by the yes, so. by the third day, it was just it was taking his skin with him, and he, he yeah 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 he bled a lot. So it's it was yeah uh, it's, you know it's 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 gruesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a good modern uh, age er, uh, iteration of this, if you if anyone's seen the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, um, I can't remember the actor's name who plays uh, Theoden, the the Rohan guy, um, which is funny because I'm such a nerd for those films. Um, when he's uh, when when Gandalf and everybody shows up at first, and, and he's really old, and he's all uh, broken down before Gandalf kind of heals him with the staff and turns him young again and everything. Um, the actor didn't want a lot of prosthetics, and they they actually did this old age stipple kind of effect on him, and that's how they, for a large part, got got that effect of of, of old uh, theater, and then you get that crinkly crepe paper again uh, kind of face and stuff. So, if you want to see. If you want to see this technique done really, really well in a modern era with color and everything and, and great makeup, you know, check just check out that one scene because that, that's a great example of this process. Uh, kind of a callback to, to the way they used to do this. Um, uh, so um, Peter wakes up. Peter, um, sorry, Ted. Uh, you know, you know why I did that? I'm thinking Peter Allison from Black Hat. Yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that's really neat. Um, so Ted Allison, I should say, uh, wake wakes up. Um, and it's, you know, the, the next day after they've done all the stuff with the heart and everything. And this is the first time he realizes, like, and, and what is that? Uh, Dr. Morris tells him he, he just got lightheaded and passed out or something. He makes right. some excuse. Um, uh, now that he's given him, because really what's happening is he's given him the antidote. Um, Ted wakes up and realizes, like, oh, I missed, I missed Isabel. She's, you know, she left with, without me. She's on, on tour now. Um He's and he's panicked about it. Um, so I, this is my thing. Like I'm not sure. Like Ted is really like mature enough to be in a relationship. Like, like and maybe this is why it hasn't worked out with this book. He, he seems. I'm just gonna say he just seems very needy um, for Isabel. Like his love for her is a little bit. I don't want to call it pathetic, but it's it's, it's very clingy, and and you can kind of see how someone like Isabel whose star is on their eyes and who's, who's, who's living in a world bigger than Ted's would get sick of that crap. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, okay, and you know, he I, I sympathize with her. Yeah. Cause Ted absolutely comes off as, as like the, almost like a high school age kid that, you know, just can't yeah. handle a breakup or refuses to handle, you know, and wants to follow and, and wants to say, Oh no, no, no. Or even distance. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah. it's, there's obviously to your point, there's, there's a, an immaturity there of on right. Ted's part in, in that regards. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's, I mean, anyone that's ever been a, a teenager has experienced exactly what Ted is going to, what is going to go through here. And he, he plays it up pretty right. well. So you you can identify with it. And it's just, it's just one of those yeah. things that you, he just, he's not, uh, it's not meant to be for him. Right, right, right. And, until the end where he actually really does show up and goes, you're in love with Eric, aren't you? Okay, well, then I'll get out of your way. Like, like we do see, like, that side of Ted finally at the end, spoilers, um, that, <laughs> that he, he's capable of, like, being mature about that. And maybe it's just, maybe it's just Isabel, like, dragging him along. So th- there's a, that, that's one thing about this film. There's sort of this long, drawn-out kind of soap opera thing, you know, B story going on. Um, well, it's kind of, that's kind of the A story in the zombie things to be story, but that's okay, never mind. Um, uh, 
it gets tiresome. You're just like, okay, we get it. You know, okay, all right. But, you know, there's enough zombie action that kind of keeps us going. Um, there's a good moment where when Ted wakes up, he's like, I need, I need my shoes. I need to go find Isabel. And he picks them up and they're covered in mud. Yes. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Morris, a uh, cr- criminal mastermind that he is, is, is neglected <laughs> to clean Ted's shoes off from when they were digging in the grave. So Ted would be like, why are my shoes muddy? Which, you know, um, muddy shoes always seems to be like a good, uh, uh, giveaway in these films. It, we see it in She Wolf of London. Their yes. shoes are always muddy, and you know, like I must have been up to something. Um, um, obviously, Wolfman. It's like, oh, my shoes are muddy. Um, uh, right around here, we we see that Jocko, the monkey, uh, who who they brought back to life, has had a relapse. He's he's gone back into his cataleptic yes. type state. Um, uh, and Doctor Morris realizes that Ted too will probably follow that same pattern uh, if, if he doesn't uh, keep giving him the antidote. So now, now Dr. Morris realizes, like you were saying, Olivia, like, like he, he kind of screwed up, like thinking yeah. this was kind of a one-off thing and now realizing he's, he's in for a much longer uh, game with this. So, uh-oh. <laughs> plot uh, twist. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of, it's kind of a plot. I mean, we're right about halfway through the film. So it's okay. So, but but his, the problem he's confronted with is Ted now is like, well, I'm going to go follow Isabel. I need to, we need to have a conversation about the, the, the you know, love Lauren Ted needs to, needs to go be with his girl. Um, Dr. Morris knows that if he goes off on his own, he's going to turn into the zombie again. There's going to be questions. Yes. <laughs> of some kind. <laughs> of some kind. Um, so, so he says, you know what, you know, you're going to go follow Isabel. I'll go with you. We'll go together. We're, we're in this together, buddy. Um, so, so, so this begins this kind of like buddy road movie part of the film between, between old Dr. Morris and Ted Allison, um, uh, which is, which is one of my, I, I think, I think after this first half, the movie kind of picks up a little bit. Once we start having really this, does. Um, yeah. this Jekyll and Hyde type thing going on with, with Ted, where, which is really what it is kind of, it's more like, Oh, we, Oh, I, when he gets, it's kind of like Incredible Hulk too. It's like whenever he gets like uber stressed or you know under a, a certain amount of, of of angst or something like that, he he reverts to this zombie version of himself. Um, and 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 Doctor Morris has to be there for it. So uh, here we have a long singing scene, uh, <laughs> and we do we <laughs> do. Jim is very uh, happy we, about yeah. yeah yeah I can't wait. I'm just Which uh, was, yeah. but you can you can fast forward through it. Yeah. Um, uh, Ted hasn't mentioned that he's going to be following Isabel. So when he shows up, she's like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we have, we, but we do have Turin Bay in a, like a cool tailcoat tuxedo. So it's kind of neat. Um, you realize like, like in another dimension, there could have been this Turin Bay Dracula film. Like it would have been really interesting to see this, this guy uh, of a more Eastern heritage. Yes. Uh, play, an Eastern European kind of character in, in, in a way that maybe, maybe it would have been more accurate almost. It would have been really interesting. I mean, of course, Belagosi was pretty, pretty much close to being a, a Transylvanian himself, but um, I don't know. Just, I, I, it, it makes, when I see him in the, in the tuxedo, it makes me think like, Hey, cause I guess whenever I see anybody in a tuxedo, I either think of Dracula or <laughs> Tennessee tuxedo. I yeah. don't know. It's always Dracula. Right? You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Grandson of Dracula, right? Starring yeah. Turhen Bay. Um, I, I would, I would, I'd, I'd, I'd lined up for it. It would have been cool. He has to have been better than uh, Carlos uh, 
whatever in Spanish Dracula, right? Oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Love Spanish Dracula. Love cinematography. Love everything about it. The guy possibly not so much. Um, Doesn't quite work for me, but it's okay. Um, So Isabel kind of rejects them a little bit. And she's, she's kind of like, you know, this isn't working for me, Ted, you know, I'm, I'm trying to focus on what I'm doing and, you know, this is it. And he, he starts having a relapse and um, Dr. Morris kind of comes in the room, gets her out of there, turn bait kind of escorts her away. And Ted and, and uh, Morris checks on Ted and Ted has reverted to zombie Ted now. So, so we see that, you know, emotional, uh, uh, high emotional moments induce this, this state and, uh, and, and his hair gets messed up quite a bit. <laughs> I don't know how the hair getting messed up part comes into it, but it's, it's a nice thing because it definitely separates, um, you know, the, the more, the more handsome the kind of David Bruce kind of seems it to this. Um, uh, so now their predicament is they have to go get another heart so they can, they can uh, bring Ted back to the same. And I like the, I do like these scenes of, um, Mr. Morris, Dr. Morris and, and, and Ted wandering these, uh, you know, creepy uh, cemeteries at night. It reminds me of, of Henry Frankenstein and Fritz a little bit, you know, um, the, the, the master and his assistant off, like looking for, looking for bodies. Um, I like that the film's called the mad ghoul. It's not just the ghoul. Like that would be bad enough, right? The ghoul, but no, he's mad. He's, there's, there's an extra layer of, <laughs> yeah. of that never, that just occurred to me. Like, did they test the ghoul and everyone's like, what's a ghoul? We don't even know. Like I, I, a ghoul is basically, I mean, my understanding is a ghoul is something that legendarily haunts graveyards. And sometimes I do believe feeds on human bodies. It's, there's a, there's that kind of a, an element to it. Um, you know, now that I, but, uh, now that I think about it, I believe that the, the working title, or at least the early title for this movie, was something. It was something much longer. I think it was like the Mystery of the Mad Ghoul, or or something like that. And then they just shortened oh, it to wow. the Mad Ghoul. Good, good call there. That's that's a good. You know, I I, I think I think I think maybe the, maybe this film's best best quality is the Mad Ghoul. Is is this title the the title three, <laughs> the three syllable title? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bang, Mad Ghoul. Um, uh. So they surprise a, a caretaker at the, or a caretaker surprises them, I guess, he, you know, at the, at the cemetery. He's like, what are you guys doing? And, and um, he gets clocked in the head and, and while still alive, Ted, you know, opens him up and takes his heart. So if, if there's sort of a, there's sort of a grisly part of the movie, I mean, we don't see it obviously, but like, yeah, like this guy's not a, not a, a corpse that they're excavate harvesting, you know, an organ from this, yeah, this is a, huge, a live human being that they, they they're murdering exactly. and cutting his heart out, which is like, yeah, yeah. Now now it's murder, okay. and and yeah. you know, I don't know if it's just because this was a quickly made kind of a, very much of a B, you know, um, accompaniment title, but uh, they they do they go through some gruesome implied stuff here, not just here, yeah. but also with uh, with Robert Armstrong and, and even at the end of the movie. So they. I was going to say they, they kind of yeah. got away with it in a, in a sense. I, I'm not sure if the, the censorship office really paid probably close attention to 
this one-off Mad Ghoul that doesn't, outside of George Zuko and Evelyn Anchors, doesn't really have a whole lot of, quote, you know, horror yeah. stars in it. So Yeah, one wonders with the, the, the amount of films coming out, how much time the censors had to, like, really, you know, try and focus on one individual uh, thing or other, or some things flew under the radar, let's say. Um, uh, maybe some of my favorite moments in the film are these moments like this where Ted is cutting out the, the guy's heart or when he's watching um, Dr. Morse strangle uh, McClure, the, the reporter towards the end of the movie, um, just the blank expression, the, the, the lack of emotion. Yes. Ted is such an emotional character. I mean, that the one thing we can say about him is he's very, he, I guess we call him high strung now. Um, he's always like big energy and then, Oh, I miss Isabel. Um, uh, but Ted, but zombie Ted is just, there's, there's no, nothing there. It's just this blank thing. And him watching him just staring at death right in front of his eyes without a care, you know, a bit of, of human reaction to it is a little chilling. It's nice. It's, it's an, and, and it's a good way for them not to show the actual act of whatever's happening, right? They cut away to like just Ted's face registering, but in a way that does speak volumes. It's, it's, it's a nicely done thing by the director. Yes, absolutely. It is. And it, it's, uh, is very unsettling because you, the, the way a lot of those scenes of, I know it's jumping ahead here, but specifically, um, with the reporter and you can see the shadows and you hear everything and, and you know what's going on, but then you see that his, his face, like you said, just completely watching it, just completely blank and ex- express. It's really creepy. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. It's almost, it's almost the worst thing. Um, uh, thankfully we have this little reprieve where we get to go to the, the newspaper office and, uh, and see McClure, the reporter or a Robert Armstrong character. Um, uh, he's, now that there's been a second murder, he's like, now it's a, now it's a, now it's a case. He's like, I want, I want this story, and and he's all about his expense account. He's like, give me an expense account so I can go follow this whole thing. And so, so um, you know, he's he starts off kind of, I mean, even this small character has a little bit of an arc because he starts off kind of like, well, here's my break. I'm going to get a big story, and then he he turns into kind of he interferes with his own story towards the end, and he tries to like stop the killing. It's like he becomes this kind of you know. Uh, vigilante type type thing yes. but but in the meantime he, at first he's, he's very excited that he has a, an expense account um <laughs> uh is is it is this rose hobart that he runs into in the like his he's kind of main uh reporter girl that, that sure. i think that's rose hobart from dark i know she's in the film and i'm and i'm trying to figure out if that's her or if she's another character i don't know rose by sight as well but she's in dr jekyll and mr hyde the frederick march uh, version so that's what I know her from. Um, anyway, but they're they're cool. They're a fun couple too. Um, uh, so now we have the moment where Doctor Morris is talk is in a restaurant and there he's having a little drink with Isabel, and uh, and I think he thinks this is his moment. He's 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 like because he's been saying like you what you need is an older man's wisdom and an older man's discipline. <laughs> he's so he's so. It, he's so cringe, as, as the kids say. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. just, nice, just nice usage. He really <laughs> in all these scenes. Yes, he's he's very cringe. Oh gosh. Um, I think he. But this is a great. Then he say something like, you know, you need a an older man who knows the book of life and can then read it to you and teach it to yes. you. <laughs> yes. Oh, you're like, oh, dude, your your pickup method is really i feel like it was antiquated even for 1943 right yes. um because he's an older guy it's like uh just um uh but it's 
it's awesome seeing uh, Zucko do this moment where he thinks it's going so well, and then she's like, "Well, here's the problem: is that I'm in love with Eric. Like, my, my comedy is and 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 seeing Doctor Morris kind of take that in and like the the don't react, don't react, don't react. Like, and and he very smoothly um, is very much like uh, Lugosi's Doctor Ballin when when um, when he he sort of realizes that 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 what's her name is not is not into him yeah. too. Like, just like all right, like as opposed to Ted, who who is so emotional, um, uh, Doctor Morris finds a way to like you know internalize that and not let it show outside and everything and then and then like say no everything's great everything's all fine and then and then to, to make matters worse eric actually shows up and says like oh if i didn't know better i'd be jealous of you and he's like oh you why would you be jealous of this old man whatever like he he he, he, ha, he ha ha's it off right yeah and um, and zuko does it really well because you can yes he's very sincere in, in what he says but at the same time you can also tell that he's, yeah. he's this is upsetting to him. So, you know, like 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 any good man, he bottles completely up his emotions and then plans right. murder right. later on. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You and you can see the you can see it behind his eyes. Also, you're like he's like I'm gonna absolutely kill this Eric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So so in a way, he he inherits this great legacy of of universal you know villains where he's he's just going to kill his way to the thing he wants, whether it's fame and fortune or a woman or whatever. Like this is this is the monomaniacal kind of quality in all these villainous characters is is like well I'll, if there's an obstacle in my way, I will have a way to remove it. And here's what yeah, you know, and I think I think this is what kind of broke him. So I mean, you know. I, like I said earlier, you know, he his intent was never to to have Ted be this actual, you know, zombie for the rest of his life or have to yes. continually go and get hearts. He was just just clearing him out of the way so he can get to Is- Isabel. But now right. that Isabel has rejected him and he sees that that she's in love with Eric, now it now he actually also is involved and in, gets involved in murder and then wants to kill uh, Eric and, and he he also goes kind of off the rails. So the the movie kind of picks up yeah. from here for sure. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, it really kind of starts to become a horror movie now. So which is which is nice. Here we're in the, like the third act now. Um, having said things I like about the film, there's nothing I enjoy more in this movie than than Doctor Morris driving zombie Ted around in his car <laughs> and, and, and then giving him a gun. So the idea of just the idea of giving a zombie a gun and sending him on a, he's going to go like do a hit on, on Eric. He's, he's arranged for Eric. Dr. Morse has, has, has sent Eric a letter uh, under, under uh, Ted's name saying like, you know, meet me in this alley at midnight. And, and then, you know, so Eric does Meanwhile, not not knowing that Ted's turned into a zombie, so now he's he's gunned up and he's coming for him, right? Right. And there's a great shot of him pacing, and there's a there's a shadow of the zombie with the gun um, raised, and um, and he, he would have done it except except uh, Isabel shows up because she's worried about she, he's Eric's told her he's going to meet Ted in an alley, and he's like, I'm not concerned about Ted. Ted's Ted's not going to do anything. Um, Eric, to his credit, Eric wants to have this conversation with Ted. Eric, Eric feels like, look, we need to be honest about what's happening and treat Ted with respect. And, yes. you know, and I think he's thinking like, okay, man to man, I'm going to have this conversation with Ted and we're going to sort this out one way or the other. Um, 
so he's yeah he, i mean he's a he's a noble character he's 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 maybe the noble character of the film that's why i say like in a weird way he's a little bit of a hero yeah no he, you're right he is and and he's not because he's he he does just want to do the right thing he doesn't want to string anybody along and and you yeah. know wants to get it done so he and isabel can continue on with with their tour and, right and isabel really did save his life because to your point there's nothing nobody else around and nothing that was going to stop ted from yeah. from shooting him and the the scene where you see this the large zombie shadow you know slowly walking with the gun towards him was, was really really well done mm-hmm. yeah i i mean an alternative good title for this movie zombie with a zombie with a zombie with a gun. automatic <laughs> zombie with an automatic zombie with a gun zombie automatic something like that um some zombie on a rampage uh uh so, so what, as we're kind of winding into the finale of the film, what's, what's going on here is, um, uh, what's, what's the female reporter's name? Della, Della I think. Yeah. Uh, and that is Rose Hobart, by the way. So good. that is Rose. Thank yes. you. Okay. Good, good, good. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, Della is following Isabel's tour. She's sort of a, she's like the entertainment columnist, right? And she's, uh, the paper, the newspaper has her following the tour um, writing about Isabel's performances. McClure is following the murders, and, and now there's been another, um, this Kermit Bond guy has been dug up and his heart taken, which is obviously Dr. Morrison and Ted's work um, to, to return Ted to normality. Um, so, so there are two different reporters. They're following two different uh, uh, stories. And when they meet up for a drink, what they realize is, is that all the dates of the murders match the dates of the performances because Ted is following Isabel and, and Dr. Morris is turning him into a zombie and he's killing people and, and then they're killing, they're taking hearts to bring him back. So, so the two reporters are the one, the, the police don't have it figured out. The reporters are the ones on the road. They're going like, Hey, maybe there's a connection between the, you know, these two things. It, there has to be a connection because it's too, it's too many. It's like eight, eight things where like the dates match up perfectly. So this is, you know, sums up, um, and it's fun seeing them. They don't just understand it instantly. They actually put it together. And at first they kind of resist the idea. Like this seems crazy, but like they can't deny it. It has to be, it has to be true. Um, it's great. It's great. And Robert Armstrong and, and, and Rose are, are both great. In it. Um, I love it. Uh, um, as they, as they drink their Manhattans and then he sticks her with the bill, which is just a great, that's a great button on the scenes. Like you pick up the tab, you know, he's on the expense account. Come on. Exactly. He, but it's like you said, it's, and this is where, uh, so, you know, you have Robert, of course we keep calling him by his, his actual name, but you have yeah. Robert Armstrong's character. This is where he is in the same, in my mind, the same level of a, of a Cheney or a Lugosi or a Karloff because, um, little, little details and little things like that, that you just don't get out of the other actors in this movie. Um, you know, yeah. sticking yeah. there with the bill and stuff like that. And just the way, the way that he goes about it and the, his mannerisms and just, I mean, this, this was, this could have easily been such a, just a quick, you know, week long paycheck. And I'm not going to care at all about this movie, you know, to, right. to someone like Robert Armstrong, but he, he, he really, he brought, he brings so much life into this kind of last oh, yeah. third of the, of the show. Yeah. He's just so, he's so kinetic. He has so much energy. And stuff. like I said, like, yeah, it's, it's always like, it's always a bright moment. Um, we will be doing uh, King Kong coming up uh, in the next uh, month or two, guys. So get ready. I think that's going to be our Halloween episode. And I can't wait to talk about it. And I can't wait to talk about Robert Armstrong about it, too. So he's, he's great. Um, uh, 
So, uh, he, so again, he, here he is. He he hatches this plan. He goes and visits. He figures out where Isabel's going to perform next, what town, um, and he is going to go. And he, he goes and he, he makes contact with the local mortician and finds out who's died lately. And it turns out someone has died lately, and they're laying in state in a casket in the in the funeral home. And he has to work and talk the guy into the I, this plan of his, which is he's going to switch places with the, the body, and he's going to be there waiting for whoever shows up to uh, to to cut out the heart. So he's also like he's not really just clever; like he's really brave. Like he's like this is yes. a, he's putting himself in harm's way of someone who's cutting hearts out willingly and he's he's got a gun ready and stuff so again this is my like this is mcclure the you're putting aside the the journalist in him and becoming this like you know uh vigilante to try to like, solve the i you know I, I think he's got two purposes um and this is why i talk about the dimensionality of the character it's why he's so interesting he's 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 gonna solve he's gonna stop this from happening to anybody else's loved ones right um, so he's going to do a good thing there, but he's also going to get the story about it too, yes. which is like, which I mean, it's great. Like especially in this scene, I forget that he's just a journalist. I I want in my mind whenever I watch this movie, it doesn't matter right. how many times I've seen it. When it comes to this scene, he's trying to catch him. It's in my mind, it's in my head that he's you know yeah. a policeman or or a detective. You or think something. he's one of the cops? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has such, he has such authority. No, it's great. Um, and it's a it's a great plan, except it doesn't work. Um, and uh, another because thing, when, when Ted and Doug Moore show up, yeah, I was gonna say uh, another thing is that, it, it, and this is probably the thing that for 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 me, anyways, for this movie that sticks out the most is this scene here. And the reason is because I, you get genuine fear for mm -hmm. uh, Robert Armstrong's character because right. he's he's sent away any backup. He sent away any police presence or, you know, any insulation like that. And, and you just, you know, it's like you get that unsettling feeling whenever you watch a character that you know is going into a dangerous situation. Like, oh God, they, you know, he's, he may not yeah. survive this. And, and then, of course, that's how it plays out. But it, it does such a good job at really making you want him to succeed and want him to survive, but then also fearful right. and scared that, you know, he's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know him now. Like, you know, you've gotten to like him. Like, the movie's giving you just enough chance to really start rooting for the guy, and then this is going to happen. Um, and, and that's the tragedy. Like, we don't know any of the other people who have been, you know, uh, assaulted and, and, and had their, had their, uh, their heartectomy. Uh, <laughs> um, um, but, but, you know, it, and it's a little, you know, he just misjudges. Um, he gets the gun on Dr. Morris and doesn't realize that Ted's there and Ted kind of sneaks up behind him. And here's this great scene where we, we actually see the shoulders and whatever of, of Dr. Morris as he strangles yeah. McClure to death and Ted just sitting there watching, watching you know, whatever. Happen. And yeah. yeah. And, and, and the, the hard part, which I, it, it's only just occurring to me now, like, like McClure ends up the same way. Like McClure gets his heart cut out. Like that's just, yeah, that's really, that's really icky. Like, like he doesn't just die. He die. He dies, and his 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 body's mutilated. Like, oh. um, uh, Ted's main weapon of choice is a scalpel to do these uh, heartectomies. <laughs> is that what he calls it? He calls it a cardiectomy. Cardi I'm saying cardiectomy. I, I just it's one thing is just as bad as the other. Um, <laughs> uh, 
which I don't know much about medicine, but I'm pretty sure you need more than a scalpel to, to do, to remove somebody's heart. Well, you just use I your think, hands don't you for the need, rest. Like, yeah. Don't you need one of those bone saw things? It's like, it's like a mezzaluna that they use to cut through the breastbone. And then you have to spread the, the ribs apart to get to the chest cavity because the heart's well, protected by your ribs. It's, it's up underneath that protection, that carriage, which is the, why your ribs are there to protect all your vital organs, your heart and your lungs and everything. It's um, a really sharp so scalpel. Maybe, yeah, I guess so. Or else he, he's got zombie strength or else, or else I hate to speculate if he, if he cuts through the stomach and then kind of goes up and under the, you know, you know, like they say, the way to a man's heart is it's through his stomach, through his, yeah. through, through his, through his stomach and then up under his rib cage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> those are the old saying. Um, yeah. So anyway, that can't be a pretty, I'm just saying that can't be a pretty, um, so this is a, you know, this is a moment in the, in the, in the, film where um the police are tracking all the where all these murders are taking place and they and they're talking with um they're talking with rose the 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 uh not rose with the with della the the reporter girl who was who was obviously milburn's kind of you know partner um and she's telling the theory that that they had that somehow it's it's connected to isabel the Isabel's tour has now come full circle and it's coming around to back in the, the whatever the main town that the film is set in where, where Isabel and Ted and Dr. Marshall live. Uh, she's been on tour around like the state or area. And now she's coming back to the actual hometown. Um, so Milburn Stone's on the job now and he's, gonna, <laughs> he, he's, he's kind of believing her. Um, you know, he, he thinks she's onto something and he goes to visit Isabel. Um, the, the police's natural inclination, just just out of obvious whatever, is is, yeah. is to not suspect Isabel for of cutting out people's hearts because you know Evelyn Anchors would never do that. Although that would be a great way to end the film is to turn out Evelyn Anchors yeah. doing all the, <laughs> it would doing be. All the murders, right? And then runs I off with Doctor Morris. Yeah, <laughs> I would have loved a Universal movie where Evelyn Anchors is the villain. That would oh, should be great. Um, uh, it's just not what you to, did back then. Well, you watch uh, when we get to one of the inner sanctums. That that happens. Weird woman. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. She's in Weird Woman. You're right. I forgot about that. Awesome. I can't wait. Um, uh, so I take that back. She. she <laughs> I will. I will see one of those movies. Um, uh, Milburn Stone's character, whose who, whose character's name is Sergeant Macklin. I just like saying Milburn Stone <laughs> too much. Um, Macklin suspects Eric Iverson, her, you know, as well as accompanist of these murders. Cause obviously like, again, not, not suspecting that a woman would have done these things. He makes the next logical conclusion is it's someone who's touring with her. And then Eric becomes the most obvious thing. Um, and of course she's like, Oh, Eric would never do those things. And, and he brings in this, there's kind of this 11th hour theory that comes in about schizophrenia that possibly Eric has like multiple personalities and then maybe he's totally normal sometimes. And then other times he's a kill crazy maniac who cuts out people's hearts. Um, and Isabel just can't kind of believe that. And also I think she, I think she knows that she's been around him too much for him to have been sneaking off and doing this kind of thing. Right. Like, right. But when he says like, well, who else has been in all these cities with you who could be doing this now, now, now the switch, you see the switch flip in Isabel's mind and, and in her eyes. And she's like, Oh, yeah. Real, the real she does believe she does believe, uh, uh, someone else could be responsible for all this. And, and I, I think that, or I get the 
the impression or the sense that she doesn't really think that it's in Ted's character or makeup to to do this. But then he's got everything right. going against him because he's got the skill and he's there at every yeah. <laughs> every time. So yeah. Oh, that's what he says. The, the, uh, Milburn's like, well, you know, would he have the, the who would have the technical ability to know how to like cut open somebody and take their heart out? And she's like, oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, knowing that that yeah, this is that's 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 Ted's speciality is the cardiectomy. Um, <laughs> uh, so so she goes to 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 uh, talk talk to Ted, and if I have it right, well, she goes well, she goes and talks to to. You know, Dr. Morris, Ted shows up, and this is that moment where she, you know, she she tells him like what all has been happening, and like oh like you know someone's been murdering people, and the cops think it's someone with a split personality, and could it be you? And Dr. Morris stands up for him and says like no no he's been with me the whole time he would never have done that, but you know and she I, I guess I don't know if she lets it go or, or really but but this is the moment where Ted Ted is um Ted matures in this Ted's moment. kind of losing his humanity even in his normal state here you know. Yeah. Like, like he's Dr. Morris has convinced him that he's very ill. Um, and that's why he keeps having these episodes. Um, but, but also I think, is it possible? Like the, 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 the zombie gas thing that, that keeps turning him is, is, is having like a cumulative effect or something that he's, he's much less, um, you know, uh, he's much less human and he's much more, more like a robot, like emotionless, in his, in his normal life here than he is, than he was at the beginning of the film. So it seems like the, the two sides of his personality are starting to like turn into one. Yeah, probably. And then just, I think the, the weight of everything. So, you know, he, I mean, yeah. he's, he's been through a lot from, from losing his fiance yeah. and then, you know, realizing that she's, she's in love with somebody else. And then the, the, I guess, stress, stress or anguish over, um, him thinking or feeling that there's something seriously wrong with them, and he's having these blackout episodes, right. and and then the I think the realization, maybe even subconsciously, of I'm having these blackout realizations or these blackout uh, episodes, and and yeah. people are dying wherever I'm going, and they're dying be- from something that I'm that really only I can do. <laughs> so and and he's had some kinds of like images of what he's been doing like, yes. and and the doc, dr morris has told him like those are just dreams and stuff. but I, I think that i think what's really happening is he's realizing like i think i think this is all true like you know i think so because he has to because i think he I, he realizes what's going on like at some point he does something clicks and he realizes what's going on because his next thing is is that he's going to um he's going to take his revenge on dr morris so i i, I guess he's he's figured it out um so what he does, he, he he does the same thing to to Morris that Morris did to him. He goes and he um, he goes down to the lab and he sets up the, the the Mayan crystals and gets them smoking, and then tricks Doctor Morris into coming down and 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 exposing himself to it. In, in doing so, he exposes himself to them again, which is kind of brave. Like a, like I guess if 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 there was any doubt that he he'd already been exposed, then he would be doing it for real now, but. I think I guess he knows he's been so, yeah. and he writes like a little letter to uh, to Isabel, like yes. kind of explaining what's going on. He does, and, and uh, one of the one of my probably my my number two favorite part of this movie is so he he's like 
to get Dr. Morris's attention, he just starts wrecking the lab. He, you know, he starts breaking yeah. stuff, uh, throwing stuff on the ground, smashing stuff, breaking the glass beakers and, and tubes and all that. And right. of course, Morris right. hears this and he runs down there and he, he looks and he goes, you fool, you madman, what have you done? <laughs> Yes. No. Exactly. It's, just, it's like 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 a, like any typical guy would say, "You fool! You madman!" Yeah. <laughs> um, Such a great totally line by colloquial speech. Yeah. 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 Um, but but what the one thing he really does, you know, so 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 Zuko run, runs in and realizes he's been exposed, and the one thing Ted makes a point of doing is breaking the um, the jar that has all the all the herbs that are. The, the way of of coming back from from the, yes. the state of, of curing himself so so in doing so he he surrenders to the idea that he'll he's going to become this zombie again and, and he'll never come back and then but but knowing that he's he's done it to zuko too like he's dr morris that he's he's going to take him with him um and this is this is a great turn the the really pliable um uh innocent lovelorn you know, Ted Allison is replaced suddenly, and he gets he gets kind of hard boiled here, which I, I he does. It, it's it, it is refreshing finally at the end. He st- he he stands up to to Morris, um, and he's not subservient to him, and and he there's there's just like this grim fatality. It's kind of Hamlet style, where like okay, if I'm gonna go, everyone's gonna go with me. Like yeah, like you're, I'm gonna take you with me. This this is this is it. And um, it, I will say that once. Dr. Morris realizes that the the crystals are are mm-hmm. kind of in the air. I mean, he he becomes panicked. He he becomes yes. so panicked and and it, trying to get to where the like I said, get to those herbs and get to some form of an antidote and realize that that is broken. And then he just he starts screaming for Ted, you know, and just and running after. Yeah. Him. And uh, the desperation. Yeah. And he'll he'll never catch up to him in time. But um, and. But yeah, to your point, that's why I said a bit ago, you know, I think Ted really matures, you know, here once he kind of pieces everything together and he, he kind of says, okay, I mean, I imagine right. him saying to himself, you know, okay, you know, Isabella's gone and, and she's chosen to be with him. And now I've done these terrible things. I've been manipulated. You know, what is my way out? And then his way out is I'm going to get revenge on Dr. Morris. I'm going to write to Isabella, let her know my, my feelings and, mm-hmm. and what happened. And then you know, we'll <laughs> kind of take it yeah. all down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Burn it all. Um, uh, so, so the, yeah, cause Morris sends Ted, Ted in the, in the fit of whatever Ted, after he confronts him, Ted does revert to his zombie stage. And now he is again, pliable and sort of, um, and, uh, Morris tries one more time to give him the gun and send him after, after, uh, Eric. Morris, Dr. Moore still somehow thinks that if he gets Eric out of the way, Isabel could still be his. Um, send, sends him off. So Ted is now like this automaton stalking the streets on his way to the, the opera house to, to go after Eric. Um, and that's when, only after he leaves is when Dr. Morris turns and he sees the crystals are burning and realizes he's been exposed. It doesn't happen right away. Right. Um, and that's that moment where, yeah, like we love seeing like this, this diabolical guy, suddenly his plans have been totally unhinged. And now he realizes that he's been exposed and, and, um, every, everything's, everything's upside down. And it's great seeing, we love seeing like the, the, the cold calculating villain suddenly just lose his shit and just, yes. like, 
<laughs> like, like become, you know, he's victimized himself, which is great. Like it's, it's very, it's an appropriate thing. Um, this, Livio, this is a good question for you. This final scene where, where Isabel is performing in this, in this uh, opera house uh, and Eric is uh, accompanying her and then uh, Ted is on his way uh, to, to, to kill him. Um, is this the Phantom stage? It looks yes, like the Phantom yes, stage. Yes, it is. It is. I mean, I don't know where else Universal would have filmed this in a big opera house on this <laughs> yeah. budget. They obviously just, they're like, let's build an entire opera house that will be like 10 times the budget of the film. Um, yeah. So, okay, cool. It's great. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think the death of Robert Armstrong's character was done much more effectively than the final scene here because it, it's it seems a little uh, it, it just the camera's just there and you know it, Eric and Isabel are, are just kind of on one side and, and here comes yes. Zombie Ted and the other and then you just kind of hear the gunshot um, and and yeah. which kills Ted and it wasn't it's not right, too flashy of an ending for the bad ghoul no no exactly as, as far as far as far as a uh, finale it's not uh, yeah exactly it's not very cinematic and it's not super emotionally satisfying I mean they they, they the thing it does have going for him is this wonderful backdrop but in the way it's it's covered and shot I agree it's kind of just it, it happens it, 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 it you know eventually um, yeah and Sergeant Macklin and his partner are in the audience like near the front row all dressed up. For the performance because they're pretty sure that it's kind of a sting and, and Isabel's kind of the, the bait where they're pretty sure whoever's doing the killings might show up. So they're kind of there as sort of a protective kind of thing. Um, uh, Ted does eventually show up um, with uh, with uh, Dr. Morris kind of trailing him and screaming and desperate about it. I don't know what he thinks Ted's going to do for him, but I don't know. Um, uh, we do have like our one crane shot in the whole film when she's singing. It's like this, that kind of like comes down and lowers and, and reveals the, the two cops watching, uh, watching her perform. And then, uh, yeah, Ted does, he comes on stage with the gun. Um, Isabel sees him, screams, uh, and, and the cops, uh, jump up and, and shoot him. And apparently he's, apparently he's the type of zombie that can be killed with a gunshot. Yeah. <laughs> They must have just aimed it right, got it right in the head. So, you know, <laughs> headshot. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. We don't, we don't really see, we just see him fall. So, um, yeah, he, he, he falls. Uh, Isabel is likely scarred for life. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the future, her, her future with Eric, uh, 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 you know, holds. Um, it's like when we were talking uh, um, about the Invisible Man Returns, you know, and, you know, after all that, how do they come out and have a normal, you know, it's like, remember that one time I was invisible uh, yeah. and tried to kill everyone? You know, it's like this. You remember that one time my it, my ex-boyfriend turned into a zombie and tried to kill us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like, how are you going to have that discussion at dinner and stuff? And eventually you can have to explain that to your kids yeah. and there's a whole thing. Um, um, so, so uh, Sergeant Macklin does find the letter and he reads, he starts reading it and, and, um, it's yeah. This whole bit's a little awkward. Turn-based character keeps going. Like, can I just take her to her dressing room? This is very upsetting. And she's like, oh, okay, you know. Um, she does identify that as Ted. Um, yeah. So you know, it, it's it's the the case is solved. Um, the one the really gratifying part here at the end is we see um, George Zucko's character, Doctor Morris, like crawling through a cemetery. All now he's all withered and zombified. Um, and trying to claw at this freshly dug grave with his, with his hands in a, some desperate, you know, very pathetic attempt to, to get to a heart to somehow uh, cure himself before it all happens. And I guess, I guess on a man, 
Dr. Morris's age, this kind of transformation is terminal. Like, like, cause he, he, it, it kills him. It doesn't kill Ted, but I assume that's cause Ted's younger and his body's stronger and stuff. It, it absolutely just, uh, is too much for Dr. Morris's body to handle. And he kind of collapses over and dies. And ironically, the, the last thing we see is his, is his hand with, that has the paralyzed fingers. There's a close up as he rolls over. Um, and it's the last shot of, of the film actually. And then, so it, in true Shakespearean resolution style, um, everybody's dead. Yeah. So the end. <laughs> so everyone's, everyone's story arcs have now concluded because they are dead. Um, so there's nothing more to be done. Uh, that, that that's a nice poetic ending of some, and it's shot very nicely and, and atmospheric. And it so, is. And, so, and yeah, the, really. the, I really like the music behind it, you know, from, I think originally from the Wolfman you used a few times in, uh-huh. in other movies, but um, the yeah. thing that's most gratifying and we've, it's been talked about on the show several times is that you don't always get the, you don't feel like the villain or the mad doctor will get his full comeuppance or a great send off yeah. for death. And, and here he does because for no other reason than um, he, you see Zuko in, in the makeup, you know, in the mad ghoul makeup and just yeah. that, you know, he, you see him walking, you see his, you know, footsteps or his feet walking right. and then he just collapses and he's crawling and and just you know i think he's screaming or not screaming but you know yell calling for ted and uh it's just it's such a like you said just such a poetic and and gratifying ending <clears throat> for for him literally gets a dose of his own medicine yes <laughs> um which is but which is nice. yeah no, yeah it is <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah no it's it's it, it is satisfying it's great um and that's the mad ghoul from 1943 um yeah sadly again uh uh, you know, direct, the director, uh, James Hogan didn't live to see the film released. And so he died of a heart attack not long after the, the, uh, the film's completion. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fitting set off. I mean, if, if, if this was my last film, I'd be like, all right, well, you know, Hey, it's the mad ghoul, man. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't, I just don't mean to, to disparage the film because I do, I enjoy it. And this is probably the sixth or seventh time I've watched it. Um, it is, I mean, it gets the job done and, and is, is a nice way to put it, but it does have a few of these, uh, these moments, like, like again, um, Robert Armstrong's character being strangled and, and him just, you know, Ted just watched zombie Ted just watching it. Um, that last shot with, with Sucko. Um, it's got some nice moments. It, it lacks just a little bit of atmosphere that we're so accustomed to with some of the universal films that they, they exist in this kind of, uh, rarefied world and stylized world. Um, but Hey man, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of time and they, they got the, the thing done and it's, uh, it's, I'm glad, I'm glad we have it. I'm glad it's part of the, uh, the canon. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yeah, I am too. It, it's, uh, you know, again, it's one of those that is probably often overlooked, but, and it's not, it's not going to blow anybody's, uh, socks off probably, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's still something that's, it's a nice enough change, you know, if if you may grow yeah. tired of seeing the Wolfman or, or, you know, one of the Frankenstein sequels for for the, you know, however many times. It, but it's it's a nice enough change, but it's also so well uh, familiar with just the the actors, the music, the mm-hmm. the, the sets and, and all that stuff. So it's it's absolutely a universal film. And I think it's it's one that's worth uh, worth coming back to. Yeah, it's a monster film. I mean, it actually is a monster film. Which, it is. You know, there were, they didn't introduce too many in the mid to late 40s. They didn't introduce too many new monsters, actual monsters into the, you know, so it's stuff like, um, you know, bad things happen to people and they're, they're 
change or there's somehow it's like there's a psychological thing but you know this and jungle woman and a few other things you know universal did take this kind of final swing at introducing a couple new monsters um this one this one did not get a sequel while while jungle you know uh captain wild women woman had jungle woman and jungle captive i think the aquanetta trilogy yeah i think this is kind of the only one they really didn't get a sequel or a series because yeah, it's, you know, obviously it's a standalone, which is odd. And, and it, I mean, it, I think it, there's potential. You know, I'm kind of surprised it, they didn't, but um, it, they, yeah. there, there's absolutely. It would have been interesting to see what, what, what would have been next for the Mad Ghoul. You know, <laughs> George George Zucko's br- younger brother yeah. could have also had the, the 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 thing, and we could have done like an Invisible Man yeah. Returns thing with played it, right? by Sir Cedric Hardwick. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly right. We could. Oh, they could have done it. Um, because the film was profitable. It did make money. That's according to to what I've read. So it's it's interesting. It was just a choice not to continue on with it, and maybe they just want to focus on Aquanetta or or some other some other stuff. I don't know. But uh, in any case, um, that is the Mad Ghoul, guys. Thank you for listening. I appreciate uh, you know, it all. Um, we uh we will be back in two weeks with another film to be determined we'll let you know uh and again always uh if uh if you've caught us in any inaccuracies or have any other info by all means like when we post about the film uh you know let us know in the comments let's have a conversation we always love it when people uh bring up their own knowledge into, into our love the uh, in our social media and we, we love having these discussions it's really it's really fun having this community of of uh of fandom with uh, with you all Absolutely. It's, it's such fun. It's it's the the best part about it by far. Seriously. Awesome. Hey, thanks very much, guys. This is the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. This is Jim Towns. I'm with Livio here. Say goodbye, Livio. Goodbye, Livio. See, there he goes. And (laughs) we'll see you next time. Thank you. See you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.